your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Good afternoon, and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. frankly speaking about cancer with the wellness community, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community, an international nonprofit organization dedicated to providing support, education, and hope to people with cancer and their loved ones. Our services are offered at over 100 locations worldwide and online at www.thewellnesscommunity.org. Last week, we brought you the first of a special three-part series that we're calling Navigating the Healthcare System When You or a Loved One Has Cancer. In our first episode, we provided practical tips on what you can do to cope with the cost of a cancer diagnosis. Today, we are going to focus specifically on health insurance and talk about how you or a loved one can work your way through this very complex system. Uh, But before we begin, let's move to a segment we call Cancer in the News, which highlights the latest cancer headlines. I'm Bill Schaefer, and this is today's Cancer in the News. Researchers recently reported that men with locally advanced prostate cancer are more likely to die if their doctors shorten the time they are treated with hormone-suppressing drugs. Prostate cancer is diagnosed in 192,000 U.S. men each year, and 27,000 of them die. New screening tests have allowed more cases to be caught early, but the best treatment for large tumors that have spread to both lobes of the prostate has been the subject of debate. The new study, published in the New England Journal of Medicine, followed 970 volunteers given radiation treatment combined with drugs to suppress androgen hormones such as testosterone. After six months, half of the men were taken off of the drug, and the rest continued taking it for another two and a half years. The research team found that by every measure, those who stayed on the hormone suppression medicine longer did better than those who received the short-term treatment. While 47 men who took the short course of drugs died of prostate cancer, only 28 in the long-term group died. And while the tumors grew or spread in 191 men who received six months of androgen suppression therapy, only 122 men who kept getting the anti-hormone drugs had had that kind of spread. Researchers explain that the difference in the effect of short-term and long-term androgen suppression on five-year mortality was modest in the study, but believe that the advantage of long-term suppression is likely to be maintained at 10 years. When used in the early course of the disease, androgen deprivation therapy can improve survival, but the researchers also found that to achieve this effect, therapy must be provided for at least three full years. Long-term therapy had some significant drawbacks, producing more hot flashes, lower libido, and reduced sexual activity. However, both groups reported the same overall quality of life. Researchers believe long-term treatment combined with radiation should be limited to patients with advanced localized disease who are receiving radiation or to men whose disease has spread. We all know that uh, in an ideal world, everybody would be covered by health insurance in in the event of a health emergency. But even for those uh, who are fortunate enough to have health insurance, figuring out how it can best work for you can seem like an impossible task. If you've been affected by cancer, sometimes uh, it seems like what should be there to help you is only causing more stress during what is already a really difficult time. Uh, As I mentioned at the top of the show, today is the second episode of a three-part series that is examining the critical financial issues cancer patients and their loved ones face when coping with a diagnosis. Um, in addition to this series, the wellness community is pleased to announce the upcoming release of an educational booklet, Frankly Speaking About Cancer, Coping with the Cost of Care. Uh, the booklet will be available at the end of June. I'll tell you a little bit more about it at the end of the show. Um, on today's show, we are going to provide an in- in-depth view of a very important topic covered in our booklet, Coping with the Cost of Care, and that is health insurance. We are joined by two wonderful guests who are here today to share their personal experiences and, and practical tips uh, to help you navigate through the maze of health insurance. First, we have David Landay. He is the founding executive director of Survivorship A to Z, uh, a website of content and, and uh, interactive tools to guide people with a serious or life-challenging condition through the maze of the financial, legal, and practical aspects of living after diagnosis, uh, starting with both cancer and uh, HIV and AIDS. Thanks for being here, David. 
Well, thank you. It's good to be here. And we're also joined by Elise Ziv, who is a former benefits administrator and human resources manager, uh, as well as a caregiver uh, to her husband, Ed, to whom she has been married for 20 years, uh, raising their two young boys, Caleb and Kobe, while coping with her husband's diagnosis. Elise likes to say that she has a sort of an unofficial degree. She's a research fellow in, uh, in brain cancer. Thanks for joining us, Elise. Thank you, Kim. Well, I know our listeners are eager to hear what you both have to say, so I just uh, want to get started with this conversation. Um, Elise, I'm going to start with you. Tell us about your family's cancer experience. When uh, was your husband diagnosed, and what went through your mind when you learned that he had a brain tumor? Well, he was diagnosed back in October of '06, and at first I thought he was having a stroke, so um, the boys were home with me at the time, and they saw me rush Daddy off to the hospital. Okay. And um, once they did the, the CAT scan, they told me that there was a mass in there. So aside from thinking I was dealing with a stroke, um, I was really dealing with a brain tumor. And I don't think anybody's ready to get any kind of diagnosis of cancer, let alone a brain tumor. And, um, you know, first things that went through my mind are like, oh, my gosh, is he going to live? Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm too young for this. What in the world are we going to do? What do I do with the kids? How am I going to handle everything? There was a, a zillion things running through my mind all at the same time. But uh, probably one of the first things you thought about wasn't your health insurance, right? No, it wasn't. It was like, <laughs> is he going to make it through till the morning, yeah. and, and, and then what? Yeah. Um, I was more concerned with finding a doctor in a hospital that could, uh, you know, do, be the best for him yeah. and, and get, get the health care that he needed. I was not even thinking about insurance at that moment. Yeah, yeah. We hear that a lot, believe me. <laughs> um, so, David, before you became the founder of Survivorship Aid, as a you were a lawyer, um, and I know you've had a couple careers in the time that uh, right. that, that I've known you, but um, tell us why you chose to change course in your career. Um, tell us about this website, Survivorship A to Z, what kind of services it provides, and why you were motivated to to to, to dedicate yourself to this site. Realistically, uh, I don't feel like I really had a choice here. I was uh, producing on Broadway when AIDS hit. I was in the middle of it. I'm a gay man. And when my partner died of AIDS and I took some time to heal, I decided, looking back, what do I want to do? I'm a lawyer. I practice law. I've been in finance, Wharton School, Harvard Law, ran a life insurance company. What did I want to pursue? And what kept coming back was to help people. And what I realized was that because of the different aspects of my life, that I could pull together information that at that point was not pulled together for people in all the realms that are affected by a diagnosis, and it's literally every aspect of a person's life. And so when I realized that, I first wrote a book uh, for St. Martin's Press, and quickly, and, and the idea there was that every life-challenging condition has basically the same kind of things, like how do you deal with your 401K, how do you deal with the health insurance companies, that sort of thing, but then realized that it's really personal to diseases as well, in this case, cancer, and not just cancer, but the type of cancer that a person has. So looking at the Internet, the realization was we could put the information on the site and we could then tailor it not just to a disease but to the person, to the individual, thanks to the computers these days. So on survivorship A to Z, we not only cover all the different areas, the legal, financial, and practical areas, including the emotional areas, but we do it in a depth that I haven't seen anywhere else on the Internet, again, because it's the Internet and we can. We don't have any limitations. Yeah. And we do a computer-generated, personalized survivorship plan. So if you have a 401K, we tell you how to access it or when you can access it. If you don't have a 401K, you don't learn about it. And so it's that kind of thing. If you're uninsured, what are the various ways you can get to the health coverage that you need or at least the health care? And it was that motivation that led to the kind of breadth and depth that we cover on the site, plus the fact that I'm a guy who, if you say walk across a room, I'll ask how many steps, what kind of attitude, that sort of thing. <laughs> so we get into the kind of detail on the site of here is the forms that you need to apply for Social Security Disability Insurance, and here's how we recommend that you answer each question because this is what they're looking for, mm -hmm. not to lie, but to help people get what they need. Excellent, excellent, David. And I know we're going to have a chance to talk a little bit more about the site um, uh, survivorship A to Z uh, throughout the course of our conversation today. So that's wonderful, and congratulations on, on, on building and launching that. I know it's a wonderful tool and uh, an asset for folks. And, again, folks, we're going to tell you at the end of the show how you can find that uh, 
uh, find that website and take advantage of all that it has to offer. Um, uh, Elise, let me get back to you. you you're actually a, a former benefits administrator uh, and a human resources manager, so you have a, a real knowledge of a lot of the issues surrounding health insurance. But when your husband, Ed, was diagnosed, your first, first thoughts, as we said, were about his health, about is he going to survive through the night, about his well-being, um, and, and, and not really about the financial aspects. So walk us through, take us down the next uh, next part of this road. So how, tell us a little bit about, you know, how, how was he treated, how was all that handled, and, and really when did health insurance first become uh, an issue or something that you had to confront? Well, I do remember the first time that health, the, my health insurance plan became a big issue to me. Um, Ed had been in the hospital for several weeks. He did have surgery. He was recuperating. And then it was time for him to be discharged. And the social workers on the floors of the hospital, I have learned, are very, um, they're very business-like. They want to know what are they going to do, how are they going to help you get out of the hospital. Not necessarily the social workers we think of to give support to somebody going through a crisis like this. So they said, oh, he needs to be discharged. He needs to go to an acute rehabilitation, which is an inpatient rehab center where he would get occupational therapy, speech therapy, physical therapy for several hours a day. And the social worker checked our plan and said, I'm sorry, your plan does not cover any of these benefits. And I said, what? I said, I can't take him home in this condition. What in the world am I going to do? How am I going to pay for the care that he needs, that I know that he needs? And what can we do insurance-wise? And the social worker flippantly said to me, well, we can try to appeal, but I'll tell you right now, in 99% of the cases I've seen, these appeals don't get approved. Mm. And my heart sunk. And she told me this on a Friday. So I had the entire weekend going, oh, my gosh, are they going to say yes? Are they going to say yes? And every time the phone rang, I jumped. What is it? You know. Um, And finally she called me, and she was shocked herself, but my insurance company actually, through the appeal process, said yes. Wow. And, I mean, I was doing, you know, I jumped up and down in my house. Uh, the kids <laughs> heard me scream and said, what's the matter, Mommy? I was just so excited that yeah. I wouldn't have to cover the cost of an inpatient rehabilitation stay, which yeah. I'm sure was, once I got the explanation of benefits form, I saw how much that was, and, you know, I, I certainly didn't have that kind of money to cover that. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars, yes. I'm sure. Yes, yeah. exactly. And that's when I first became aware of the appeals process through the insurance company and how it could potentially work for me. Yeah. So, oh, if um, I can jump you know, in here, Lisa, it not just works for you, but our basic advice is appeal, 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 and don't stop. Be persistent, because the statistics show that the appeals work. In spite of what the social worker was telling you, in reality, appeals do work. It's a question of getting together the evidence you need to convince the insurance company why they should be doing it under their policy or why it's in their economic interest to do it or maybe even in their social PR interest to do Mm -hmm. it. But to keep appealing is the critical element, and you don't need an attorney to do it. You don't need an outside expert. It could help to have a social worker on board, but... Not to the highest level of appeal do you really need to bring a lawyer in. I, I agree, and I have found that the squeaky wheel does get the grease. In this case, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, David, we talked earlier about how, you know, someone's diagnosed with cancer. Boy, you're not, you're not uh, thinking about the financial issues, especially if you're someone who has health insurance, right? I mean, that's not, not something that is uh, front and center. But, but what advice should we give folks? You know, someone's just been diagnosed with cancer. Um, what what questions should they be asking up front? Um, what do they need to, to to think about and ask, um, you know, at the time of a diagnosis that, that people just don't focus on or think about? Well, to just back up for one of the things you talked about, about people think that they're covered when they have health insurance. This, the, the study that uh, Elizabeth Warren did in 2005 showed that over 50% of the bankruptcies of people in the United States is due to health care costs, and over three-quarters of those had health insurance. Amazing, isn't it? So mm. it's not the be-all and end-all to have health insurance. Yeah. Yeah. But once you're diagnosed, the first thing you should look for, of course, is your health insurance and figure out how to get the care. I, I would advise exactly what Elise did, which is, first of all, how, how do I get the care? That's the most important part, and then figure out how to pay for it afterwards. Uh, because when I say that, every, every medical bill is negotiable, whether it's a hospital or a doctor. Um, you can also find out about uh, potentially free care, even if they've prov- already provided the service. Uh, but what people really should do, once they take a breath and, and start thinking about, okay, getting beyond my immediate health problem, 
uh, is to start figuring out how can you get yourself in the best economic situation that you can. And that would be looking at things like what your real earnings are, how much you're really earning. People really think, well, I'm earning $15, $20, whatever, an hour, uh, and not taking into account the cost of traveling to and from work and the other expenses that might be involved and the time that they put in, like travel time, and that they may be doing another job that they could get um, a, a lot more benefit out of, a lot more financial benefit and more free time so they could do the personal things using their cancer as a wake-up call. So get, looking at things like that as well as the other resources, and again, I come back to our individual survivorship plan because it would show people, you tell us what resources you have and we can tell you how to access them. Like people would think, well, I've got a house and I may need to use that. How could I use that for money if I need it? Well, we can all think about getting a mortgage against it, but also you could think about renting out rooms, starting a B&B, even starting a, uh, a home care facility where not only would somebody else be there with a nurse, but then the nurse could help take care of you. So there, that kind of thinking that, that should be done once you get breathing space. David, do you think it's safe to say, um, I mean, I've heard folks say that uh, if you've got cancer, if you're diagnosed with cancer, you're, you're more than likely going to, going to be incurring some debt, that that's a, that's a, pretty, um, a pretty typical experience so that yes. folks just in the beginning need to get the head, your head around the fact that you're going to have out-of-pocket costs with this disease. You're probably going to incur some debt. So like you're saying, take a breath, think about the longer-term plan for how you can do that, what kind of tolerance you have for some debt, um, you know, how you can alleviate that a little bit, but that, that, that debt probably today in this day and age is probably a real part of the cancer experience. I agree, and when you're speaking about it, one of the things that I would recommend is to increase your credit as much as you can. So when you get all those applications for new credit cards in the mail, this is one time I would actually suggest that you open it. This will probably affect your credit rating by getting maybe too much credit, shall we say, mm-hmm. but at least then if you need the money, and I'm not saying to spend the money on the credit card just right. to get the credit card so that and to increase credit in any way you can so that if you do need it, You've got that money available because cash becomes king, and to think that way of cash as king, so to limit all the, uh, you know, like, well, I've got this, so I'm going to die, which, of course, is probably not the case anyhow, but that kind of thinking can lead people to say, well, so I'll spend this extra money now. It won't matter. I'd say hold that extra money now. Buy some ice cream instead. <laughs> we're gonna uh, uh, we're gonna take a break in just a minute. This is frankly speaking about cancer uh, with the wellness community. Um, we have a three part series. Uh, this is the second of a three part series called Navigating the Healthcare System when you or a loved one has cancer. We are focusing uh, on the financial burden of cancer and how to cope with and manage the cost of cancer care uh, today, uh, particularly in this difficult uh, economy. Uh, We are going to take a quick break here on Frankly Speaking About Cancer, and we will be right back. Your life, your health, your network. Voice America Health & Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. For more than 25 years, the wellness community has been the nation's leader in providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or or at one of our 26 centers in the U.S. and abroad, the wellness community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-WELL or visit us online at www.thewellnesscommunity.org. That's thewellnesscommunity.org. The Wellness Community, celebrating over 25 years of cancer support, education, and hope. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community. 
Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tebaldo, and in recognition of the wellness community's newest educational booklet, Frankly Speaking About Cancer, Coping with the Cost of Care, today's episode is the second of our special three-part series examining the critical issues that cancer patients and their, fam- their families and loved ones face when, when coping with a diagnosis. We are here today with Elise Ziv, a former benefits administrator and uh, human resources manager and caregiver to her husband, Ed, uh, mother of two children. David Landay, founding executive director of a terrific website called Survivorship A to Z. In fact, David and, and uh, that site, Survivorship A to, D, a to Z, were uh, partners and reviewers uh, with the wellness community on our new book, Coping with the Cost of Care, and we're uh, grateful for that, uh, for that partnership. Um, Elise, I want to get back to, uh, back, back to our discussion. So tell us a little bit more about what your health insurance situation was like at the time that your husband, Ed, was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Um, what did you know about your coverage? Um, did you suddenly have to sort of dive into the specifics of your plan to see what was and wasn't covered? Um, and how did you get answers to the questions that you had uh, about your coverage? Well, I'll tell you, after the shock of learning that uh, rehab was not on my benefits list, I certainly did uh, search for my booklet and pull it out to see what, uh, what to review what I was covered and wasn't covered for. I did know that we had a self-pay plan. My husband was self-employed, so we were we had a self-pay coverage plan. It wasn't with, through any group or employer. So I knew that I could choose any doctor or hospital that I wanted. I knew what my deductibles were. I knew what percentage my co-pays were. But beyond that, uh, I guess I didn't pay attention to the specifics of the plan as they related to cancer or catastrophic illness. So my sister-in-law, who happened to be a social worker at a different hospital in a pediatric unit, um, became my advisor on what to ask for, what to look for. Um, she coached me through some uh, some things on how to, to deal with the appeal process. David, I know you mentioned about finding the right words to say on your appeal mm-hmm. letters from the doctors. I, I learned all about that crash course in, in what to say to the insurance companies. The other thing that I found extremely helpful that she mentioned to me was to get a case manager through my insurance company to see if that was a benefit. It turned out that it was, and it was somebody who was assigned directly to me to work with uh, my husband's illness and to be my advocate in the insurance company and to run all questions and issues that needed appeals through her. And she and I became very close and uh, very good friends, and it worked to our advantage. And she also helped coach me on what the doctors needed to say in their letters and um, how to work the insurance system from the inside. Adding to that, Elise, I, I even know of a case manager who recommended a treatment to a patient that the doctors weren't considering it was more expensive when they were, and it worked for that particular patient. Wow. Mm-hmm. So case managers can be really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, David, I know that your site, Survivorship A to Z, focuses a lot on what doctors and insurance companies don't tell you about, uh, uh, about paying for cancer care, and I know the site also sheds light on the fact that there are assumptions that patients and caregivers shouldn't necessarily make when dealing with their healthcare professionals, and I think you're starting to touch... Uh, to touch on that now in terms of really, you know, understanding before you said earlier, before you get on the cost issues, figure out what's best for you. What, 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 you know, what are your best treatment options, whether it's conventional therapy, whether it's using a drug, you know, for, for another indication, we call that off-label, whether it's a clinical trial. Um, how do patients start to think about that, and, and what are some of the myths or misconceptions that patients hold that we can kind of start to dispel on the show today? I, I think one is what we, we kind of touched, that your health insurance is going to cover everything and that I at least mentioned copay, the amounts that people pay before the insurance takes over or even as part of what the insurance pays. Uh, there's generally a cap on how much a, a policy will pay over a lifetime with a cancer diagnosis. Uh, the expense over a lifetime can be very high, so the cap becomes important to check. Um, is there a typical and, cap, David? Is there a uh, million dollars or so, a number like that, which in today's economics is not a lot of money? Not in today's health care, yeah. No, so it's something to take a look at. Also, uh, we just kind of touched on that if the company says no, that you should accept that as a no, uh, or that a doctor will tell you what to do. These days, doctors, and this is a good thing from the patient's point of view because the more empowered patient lives longer, the statistics show it, but the doctors are beginning to understand, okay, we're not going to tell the patient. They're probably looking at a liability point of view. They're going to give you the alternatives and 
let you make the decision, so you've got to be more educated about your disease than you thought you would have needed to be. You don't need to become a doctor, but just uh, to be sophisticated enough to be able to get what you need out of it. Also, when it comes to insurance, people tend to think, well, I've got a bill, I'm, su- I'm supposed to pay it. Don't. Check every single bill and also make sure, first of all, whether it's supposed to be covered by insurance or not. And the last thing I kind of mentioned is that people tend to think they get a bill and, and it's not negotiable when indeed bills are negotiable, just as they are in any other part of our economy. David, I'd like to add on to the checking the bill. I never paid a bill until I got my my explanation of benefits paperwork just to make sure that what the insurance company covered is what the hospital or the doctor was asking for. And I found several instances where, for some reason, it could have been an error code on the, on the physician's part that it was rejected by my insurance company, but when they put in the proper code, it was then paid, and I was not on the hook for that part of the bill. That happens a lot. I mean, like even just hospital bills, depending on the study you look at, sometimes like 80% of the hospital bills are wrong. So 80%. We always, yeah, we always have to check bills. Mm-hmm. David, I've heard patients say sometimes that um, they have concerns about paying for the, their care, but they don't want to bring any of that up in the doctor's office because they're afraid that the doctor might not give them mm-hmm. the best care that they should have. If, the, if there's any indication that they might have some issues about paying for care or, or, or being able to afford their copay, that the doctor might give them a, a choice that might not be the best choice. Do you hear that? Uh, I hear it, but I haven't seen it in practice. I see quite the reverse. I see that doctors are willing to work with patients, and particularly in these times, and that if people have an economic need, you should bring it up. It's not just about the doctor bill, but it goes all the way down the ladder. When the doctor is prescribing a medicine, it's just as easy for him or her to, to reach for the last one that the, the sales rep came and told him about, which is the latest, most expensive version that would treat this particular situation, mm-hmm. when indeed there might be a lot less expensive uh, drug or treatment that would, would be just as effective. But unless you say money is of concern to me, the doctor will go for one of these other reasons. Now all of a sudden he or she will think differently in what they prescribe and the way you get treated, not to say you're going to get treated any differently or any less. I, I don't know of any doctors that I've seen that would do that. It becomes a fear but not a reality. So people should talk to the doctor about that. And indeed, if we go back to kind of a holistic approach to medicine and realize that it isn't just the tumor, shall we say, that one is fighting, and you're not just fighting it with the treatment, you're also treating it, you're fighting it with your body, you're fighting it with your thoughts, you're fighting it with your exercise, your nutrition. And so all those things need to be taken into account, and we should really focus on all those things, which means that we should be telling the doctor about our major concerns, our major stressors, so the doctor understands those things because all those will indeed have an impact on how you're being treated. And, and who else besides the doctor, David, who else on the healthcare team can be helpful with some of that or help to answer some of those questions or help manage some of those stresses and anxieties? Practically anybody in the doctor's office. If he or she doesn't have the time, they, the manager or they'll, they'll direct you to who in the office uh, would be able to, to take care and to help you with situations like that. Uh, so that if the doctor doesn't have the, the kind of time to really get into these things, then you, you probably can do it with somebody on his or her staff. Mm-hmm. So talk to the nurse, the social worker, the case manager. Talk to somebody, right? Don't just keep it in and don't think that they know what your problems are right? until you right. bring it up. And that goes, of course, with any medical exam or anything. Unless you bring it up, the doctor doesn't know it. Yeah. You know, David, I know one of the things we hear about from patients a lot is that they um, they get concerned about being able to pay their copay, especially in cancer when we're dealing with a lot of pretty costly um, cancer treatments. And I know one of the things that we have in this book that I just want to highlight for folks, um, there are a lot of nonprofits and charities out there that provide what is called copay assistance that, uh, you know, actually gives gives grants and dollars to patients to help them meet the costs uh, of their copay. So I just want to mention to folks that uh, in this book, Coping with the Cost of Care, you'll see a list uh, of those charities that provide um, copay assistance, so some real, uh, real specific resources there. Um, the book also gets into how to get to the uh, pharmaceutical companies as well. That's right, and their financial they're assistance programs, assistance programs. Really actually give you the drug for free. 
That's right. That's right. Um, so, Elise, over what period of time do, would you say you were dealing with some of these cost issues with your uh, insurance? I mean, and, and, and what other sort of barriers or frustrations did you, uh, you know, did you encounter while dealing with some of these insurance and financial issues? Well, I'll tell you, one of the biggest frustrations I found was from the health care providers themselves, mainly the people at the hospitals who would say, well, I don't think that that's going to, I don't think your insurance is going to cover that from these social workers who are just on the floor trying to get you in and out and processed. Um, and I would always say to them, well, we need to ask. And my motto is, if you don't ask, you don't get, because you're not going to get anyway if you don't ask. So um, I, part, of, part of my frustration was overcoming their negative attitude about all they've seen in the past. And I guess treating me and my husband more like that statistic well, it doesn't work for most people. And I'd have to say, you know what, well, we're not most people, and we need to find out if it's going to work for us. And that, that, that's critical because also every policy is different, every insurance company is different, and when you're dealing with an insurance company, you're dealing with people. And I, I think what you talked about before, Elise, is great. One of the things that we recommend on Survivorship A to Z is that people make a friend at the insurance company. You, you found one in the case Absolutely. Manager. And when Make you a friend do, in the hospital, the at your doctor's that. office, at the insurance company. Mm-hmm. I've also heard folks say that, that it was really valuable for them to really keep a log of those communications, so to write down with whom you spoke, write down their phone number, write down the date and time of the conversation, exactly what was said, um, so that you do have folks to go back to when you're being told certain things. Mm-hmm. Well, when you say that, I would also keep a note in those as well of what the two of you found in common as human beings. You're both moms, you're both dads, you're both whatever. Make a note of that as well so that in the next conversation you can refer to that part that you had the common interest to, which immediately gets you back to where you were in the first conversation. So it's that human element to yes. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. David, we've just got a minute or so until the break, but I imagine that what you're hearing from Elisa's experience is pretty common um, among patients. Just tell, tell us a little bit more about how your site, Survivorship A to Z, has tried to eliminate some of the runaround and, and, and frustrations that come with getting uh, answers to some of these financial questions. Well, by, as we mentioned before, by, create, by giving people access to being able to create an individual survivorship plan for themselves, then they get an overview of everything that they need to know about and then in-depth issue answers about every question they've got, only as they need them, but right there in one place for them. So um, let's just take another minute or so to just, so I, I, you know, I come to the site, um, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I've just been diagnosed with, uh, with uh, breast cancer, then I can just kind of log in and start to ask some questions. Well, or what you could do is just look for the immediate questions you're looking for, going through whatever areas. We have different categories, and you can find your information that way. Or you could complete a questionnaire, and then you get your individual report just for you. And then as things change, you move from just diagnosed to in treatment, from in treatment to post-treatment, post-treatment to up to five years, that sort of thing. You change your answer, your report automatically changes to fit that situation. And is it all secure, David? Is it all confidential? Totally confidential. Totally, as much totally as confidential. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. All right, uh, folks, listen, today I'm frankly speaking about cancer. Uh, we are talking about um, health insurance. Uh, we are talking about uh, a lot of surprises that people find when they're diagnosed with cancer and they have health insurance. They think they're covered. They think everything's fine. And then suddenly they start to dig in and, uh, and ask questions and find out that, in fact, their insurance is not covering uh, some of the critical aspects of, 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 uh, of managing this disease. So um, we are going to take a quick break on, uh, frankly speaking, about cancer. We're talking about surviving the maze of health insurance. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health & Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. For more than 25 years, the wellness community has been the nation's leader in providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or 
or at one of our 26 centers in the U.S. and abroad, the wellness community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-WELL or visit us online at www.thewellnesscommunity.org. That's thewellnesscommunity.org. The Wellness Community, celebrating over 25 years of cancer support, education, and hope. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today, we're here to help you navigate through the maze of health insurance questions that often accompany a cancer diagnosis. Uh, I am joined by David Landay, who is the founding executive director of a wonderful website called Survivorship A to Z, and Elise Sith, who is a former benefits administrator and human resources manager uh, and a caregiver to her husband, Ed. Um, Elise, what were some of the other unexpected costs or surprises that you had when, when dealing with, uh, uh, with Ed's cancer diagnosis? Folks, tell us. You know, it's not really just about the, the, the treatment or the hospitalization or the copay, but, you know, things come up like, you know, I've got to pay for somebody to, to uh, take care of my kids. I've got to pay for, suddenly pay for parking at the hospital every day. I've got to, you know, all these other sort of unexpected things, surprises that you have. Did you have uh, some of that or have you heard of other folks who've had that kind of experience? I've definitely had some of the unexpected. The biggest unexpected for me also was uh, my prescription coverage. I found out really quickly that they only covered $500 a year uh, in drug costs for each member of my family, mm-hmm. which after, you know, not even one month of treatment for my husband was was blown. Oof. But the, the other, but on, on a positive surprise, I did find that chemotherapy under my plan was covered under the major medical benefit, and it was not run through the prescription portion. So um, I made sure to write the word chemotherapy very large on my prescription slip, so that the insurance company saw that it was uh, a chemotherapy drug and not put it through the prescription part of the plan. Uh, but as you mentioned, just the little things, I mean, paying for parking at the hospital, you know, when you go to your doctor's appointments, just those little, you know, four, five, eight, you know, depending on how long you're there at the hospital, your parking bill could be $10 a trip. Yeah. Um, the mileage on the car, the wear and tear with the gas, and, and at the time that Ed was, was ill, you know, gas prices were quite mm. steep. Time, uh, you know, time. People don't realize that time is money, and um, just you know, the time taken to get to the appointments. Uh, the other thing that has been a, a big surprise for me is also getting home care. My husband happens to be a little more disabled than some others, and the insurance company doesn't want to pay for what they call custodial care, somebody there to make sure that he doesn't trip and fall and hurt himself or make sure that he takes his pills the right way. But I needed that so that I could get out of the house um, and and function and and do what I needed for my family. So uh, a lot of those costs fall on me. And, um, you know, that's been a surprise at what the cost of in-home care is just for an hour or two a day is uh, surprising. Yeah, yeah. And were there things that, uh, how, how old were your boys when, when Ed was diagnosed? When Ed was diagnosed, they were six and four. And did you, um, uh, how did you talk to them about the cancer? And then also, how did you find ways to take care of, your, uh, of yourself as the caregiver? Two small children, a husband diagnosed with a brain tumor. How, how did you find some tools to kind of manage all of that? Well, I was very open with them. They they were there the night that Daddy went to the hospital, so they knew that something was already wrong. And um, I found some resources at the hospital. The, the hospital oncology social worker was a terrific resource for me, and she really helped me figure out what it was appropriate to say to children in that age range. And I did tell the boys that, you know, Daddy had a brain tumor and that he had surgery and they removed as much as they could. And, and in the middle of my conversation, my then six-year-old said to me, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean they cut open Daddy's head and they touched his brain 
And I thought, oh, I didn't know where it was going, so I said, yeah. He goes, oh, that is so cool. <laughs> do you think I could do that? I said, boy, I hope not. <laughs> so, you know, at, at that point, he thought it was, like, pretty cool. Somebody went in and touched Daddy's head. Yeah. But on the other, the other end of the spectrum, you know, they were kind of cautious about him being in the hospital, and they thought, you know, did I? I had to dispel the debt. They didn't cause it. Um, they couldn't catch it from him. Yeah. Uh, and they couldn't break Daddy. So once we got over some of those, it helped them cope a little bit more. And like I said, I used the hospital oncology social worker. Um, I also found some community support groups as well that helped me out. Yeah. And you've had, um, you, you said that uh, your husband, as a result of the, the, the care, has had some impairment. So you've had to make some uh, adjustments, it sounds like, in your family and in your yes. life as a result of that. Yes, we have. We have. Um, and thankfully, my boys are rolling with it. Um, and my husband is rolling with it. He's he's been a great patient, I have to say. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have found some people willing to help. There, we had an outpouring of support from the community that we live in. Wonderful. Um, you know, from a financial perspective, people out of the woodwork started sending us gift cards. You know, to food stores, gas cards, which all helped mm-hmm. immensely. Things you don't necessarily think about. How could you help somebody who has a cancer diagnosis financially, other than paying their bills? I mean, you know, sending a meal over getting a, a food store gift card, gas card is all extremely helpful. Boy, that's great advice, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. I know uh, a lot of times folks say, look, my, my uh, coworker or my neighbor or my friend's been diagnosed with cancer. I'm not sure, uh, you know, what to do. I know that, um, you know, part of what they're struggling with are some financial concerns. But, again, it doesn't always feel appropriate to offer somebody money or, or give them cash. But the idea of giving them a gift card for the for the supermarket, for, the, for, a, mm-hmm. for a gas station, for something like that is, um, boy, that's really smart um, smart okay. advice that uh, we will go on to give to. Uh, the other advice I've seen there is that people should just ask the person or the, the immediate caregiver, what do, you, what do you all need? So that you're really sure what the person needs so you can give something that's really directed for their need versus what you think might be the need. Yeah. And David, to, to pick, sorry, to piggyback on that, one of the things I found helpful was I appointed a particular friend of mine to be the point person for those Great. requests mm-hmm. because I found that when I requested, people wanted so much to help, and then if I asked them for a particular thing that they needed at that, that I needed at that time and they, for some reason, had to say no, mm-hmm. it was awkward for them to all of a sudden say no. So if I gave that responsibility to a friend of mine, Great. Great they idea. went ahead and asked for me, and the people who could help helped, and those who couldn't didn't feel like they were letting me down. Wow. That's also hey. great advice. We're putting it on the website. <laughs> we are too. <laughs> um, so, David, I think we we um, you know uh, may have some folks who might just be joining us and uh, want to let folks know that we're talking today about uh, health insurance and cancer and how you deal with uh, some of the unexpected issues uh, that you might confront, even if you have insurance uh, when you're diagnosed with cancer. So, so I just want to go back over, David, some of the important things to know about paying for cancer care, even if you do have insurance. So folks can uh, can avoid these surprises. What, some tips and advice that we can give folks to try and increase your financial situation to the best that you can as quickly as you can. Whether that involves getting credit, uh, changing jobs, job lock does not exist anymore thanks to a combination of a couple of federal laws. So that even though you've already been diagnosed, for instance, you could still change jobs and still get health insurance with no exclusion for your pre-existing condition from your new job. Um, so if you're capable enough, you could do that. You could get maybe even if you're not getting an increase in salary, just better health insurance, like go to work for a larger company or perhaps the government, which has some really great plans. Um, if if it's early enough on and so you've got extra money, create an emergency plus fund, as we call it, so you've got money sitting in the bank for when you need it. Uh, but, again, I come back to credit and, and the various sources of credit, but also look at, your resources and think about how they could be used without actually having to sell them if you need to use them to get money. And one of the things that we talk about on the website is how do you talk to friends and family about money if you need money and about asking them for it. And there's no reason not to. We ask for friends for favors all the time. We have this kind of queasy thing about money. Well, there's no reason to. And and if people want to help, they want to help. And they will in any way they can. So um, it, it's just to, to think through those things and to get rid of any thought of embarrassment and just do what you need to do 
for yourself, and it's not what works for anybody else, what works for you. That's the key. David, you mentioned um, earlier, and I want to reinforce this with folks. Folks sometimes think, you know, gosh, am I, I've been in, uh, my insurance company has denied this claim, uh, denied this request. At least you talked about how initially your insurance company denied uh, coverage for the rehabilitation, inpatient rehabilitation that your husband uh, that your husband needed. And folks think, boy, well, that's the end of that road. Now, what do I do? Um, what do folks do in that situation, David, if they've been denied coverage? Appeal. Appeal, appeal, <laughs> be persistent. Uh, I keep coming back to that. At each appeal level, always look for something new that hasn't shown up at the last level so that the people at that next level have an excuse, shall we say, to give you what you want. If there is no new fact, well, then just keep repeating what you've got. But work with your doctor, work with um, your local uh, nonprofit disease organization, Get ideas from them. Why do you need what you need, when you need it? Make sure that you've got that included in your appeal and that you appeal on time. You've got to follow the insurance company rules. You're a day late, that's the end of the appeal, and the court's going to back you up. So you've got to follow their rules, but be persistent. Elise, we're going to go to break in just a minute, but why do you think the after you filed your appeal that the insurance company changed their decision? Did, were you coached on that, or did somebody tell you what to say to how to do that? Um, initially, uh, I was coached with uh, three words, um, oh, ADLs, uh, assistance with daily living activities. I think that's what mm-hmm. it is. Daily living, yep. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that, I found, was a key word to put in what what we needed. And in, case, in my insurance company's case, because Ed was in the hospital and was going to be discharged, mm-hmm. they needed to make that appeal decision in 24 hours. So it was an emergency 24-hour appeal, which happens, I guess, when you're in the hospital, you know, and, and discharge situation. Well, so use that point. to Whenever your advantage, too. Whenever there's an emergency too. situation, they all do have appeal, uh, emergency appeal procedures. Emergency appeal. Great. Guys, we're going to take a quick break. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're talking about uh, health insurance and uh, coping with the cost of cancer care, and we will be right back. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. Holistic health and well-being covers many facets, including stress, time management, weight loss, cardiovascular training, and aging. And that's just to name a few. Your life without limits will help to sort it all out for you. Join host Joe Sardi and the top minds in holistic health and well-being for an educational and entertaining hour. Listen for Your Life Without Limits. Heard every Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We've been having an incredibly informative discussion uh, with Elise Ziv, who is a former benefits administrator and human resources manager and uh, caregiver to her husband, uh, Ed, when he was diagnosed with a brain tumor, also the mother of two small children, and David Landade, founding executive director of a terrific website called Survivorship A to Z. Uh, David and Survivorship A to Z were partners with the wellness community in the development of a new book that we're launching at the end of the month called Frankly Speaking About Cancer, Coping with the Cost of Care. Um, Elise, I want to get back into um, some of the things that you learned um, through uh, through this experience. Again, we've got you know folks listening to the show who maybe have just been diagnosed with cancer or some other difficult illness and are are uh, are, are going through this now. And we're really about giving them some advice and and, and tips and in terms of how they can navigate this. So, what what do you know now that would have been helpful to you? Uh, in the beginning in terms of really managing the, the, the health insurance and the financial aspects of, of your family's cancer experience? Well, I, I've learned that case management is very important. If that's a benefit that your plan offers, check into it immediately. Um, I've also learned to ask uh, because asking can get you something. It may not, but it, it certainly can get you what you want. And as David mentioned, appeal, appeal. Don't let one no stop you. I've also learned that the phrase, 
Um, saying to someone who's kind of being negative in a certain situation about what they don't think is going to happen, I, I always ask them, well, tell me what you can do. Tell me what you can do for me, what you do know, um, to help turn their attitude around. I've found that using my words can also help somebody else help me out as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, wish, I wish I would have known of David's website uh, early on because I think that would have helped me navigate this a little bit quicker. Mm-hmm. And and have a quicker learning curve on this. Yeah. It, actually, uh, one of the things I just realized that we haven't mentioned before, when it comes to getting a note from an insurance company, is yeah. the sources of influence, and that we should always look for those. So, if a person works for a larger corporation, where there's an HR expert who is an expert in this particular policy. Mm-hmm. That person probably or somebody in the department is the one who had the contact with the insurance company that bought the policy in the first place. So if you can get that person to intercede when you have a problem with the insurance company, that's also a good way to go. Um, If you have an individual policy, it could be your broker who could help. But to think about whether there's a source of influence that way, and if all the appeals don't work, there's always the source of influence called the public which is trying to get your case out to the public. And again, on the website Survivorship A to Z, we tell you how to think in terms of taking your case and wondering how do I make this a more universal situation so it applies to other people, in which case it would then be of interest to the the press to report on it, putting the insurance company on the spot in your case. Yeah, yeah. You know, David, one of the things that... um that I had, uh, you know, mentioned earlier is a lot of times people are very um, quiet about their these financial issues, but that the, the the fact of the matter is what folks tell us is, listen, you're you're going to have some financial challenges when dealing with a with a cancer diagnosis. You're probably going to be incurring some debt and going into debt. Um, but what you you, you mentioned uh, in one of your comments that um, you talk on the site about ways to find other resources to help you manage these financial issues, ways to talk about talk to your family about. Um, how you might ask for some financial support from your family. Talk, talk about that. Talk about because I think there's you know a lot of times there's there's shame uh, associated you know with some of this, and so people are just bottling all of this up. Um, and you know how do you give them some advice on how to kind of get this stuff onto the table and get it dealt with? Bottom line: to, to let go of shame and let go of blame. You you it, they they're just they're they're very wasted, uh, time-consuming and hurtful and stressful kind of emotions that really don't help us. They're thought of a part of a thought process and in shorthand we truly can change our thoughts and so to let go of that and to in a sense be naked to the people that you care about. They love you. You love them. You would do what you can to help them. Well, they're in that same position and even though we're talking about money and we even our society may think of that differently, you would ask them for small favors that that you need help with and expect them to do the same with you. That's family and friends. And so there's no reason to think of money any differently. And accept the fact up front, they may say no. And if they do, that's okay. That shouldn't affect your relationship. You can't you know, tell other people what to be doing and what not to do. Yeah. What Elise was talking about before, they may want to help but may not be able to at that moment. So right. Uh, if we understand that, then we should do that, and we should reach out to all the resources. Elisa mentioned her community came together to help around her. Let your local uh, church, synagogue, whatever your religion is, know about it. Let whatever groups you belong to know about the situation, and I suspect you're going to find there's a lot of help out there, and even employers. I mean, that, that gets into a whole other question of should you tell or shouldn't you tell, but one of the benefits of telling is the, the, what happens when coworkers and, and employers step to the plate as well. Yeah, yeah. I've heard, I've, you know, coworkers and employees. I've I've heard of people who have donated their vacation time mm-hmm. to a sick individual, Absolutely. so that or the or the caregiver of of a family member, so that they could take off as much time as needed at work. Right. without impacting them necessarily financially. And I right. thought, wow, that's a great idea. Yeah, we have a federal law that gives people some time off, but it's unpaid time off, and it's in limited circumstances. And when that time's used up, this could come into play, or this could come into play if there is no such law in your state or or if your company doesn't uh, subject to the federal law. Yeah, I heard I heard on the, uh, on the, uh, on the radio recently that, um, that half of all full-time workers in the U.S. have no paid sick leave. Wow. And that 30 million workers, full-time workers in the U.S. have no paid vacation leave. Wow. Mm. 
I mean, those are really amazing statistics. Yeah. Amazing statistics. Yeah. Well, none uh, of that stuff's mandated. None of it's mandated, right? None of it's mandated. Uh, Elise, do you do you think about money differently since this cancer experience in your family? Do you think about your own finances differently? I do. I do. Thankfully, I was the one who was more in charge of the day-to-day finances of our house. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I was pretty much in order with things like that. But, you know, I, I think twice now about do I really need that when I'm out mm-hmm. grocery shopping and, and those impulse purchases that are right there at the registers. Uh, you know, what do I what do I need to spend that money for? That, you know, $2 here, $1 there adds up to what I may need to, uh, you know, use a caregiver for to come to my house to, you know, to, for, to sit for an hour with my husband. So I do think of term, of money differently in that, in that respect. Um, I have put into place some of those uh, ideas that, that David has suggested. I have asked family members for financial assistance, and I have found that um, some, of my, some of the people who have said, yes, they can help, they like to pay vendors directly because it also helps them on their taxes uh-huh. if it goes to a health care institution. So that's a way that it's a win-win. They get to help. They also get the benefit of it as well on a tax perspective. I'm not a tax person, so I don't exactly know how that works, but they've said that it does. So, um, so that's a different way to structure things like that. Interesting, interesting. Sure. Well, the medical expense deduction is what they're referring to. It's subject to a limit. Uh, what, is it, what is it, David? Uh, uh, there's a, a medical tax deduction that you can take, but there's a floor. So if, if your medical expenses are less than 7.5% of your adjusted gross income, you can't deduct them. Mm-hmm. But above that, you can. So it sounds like they've got medical expenses and they're trying to build up that deductible part so that they can get a deduction for the rest of their expenses. And it's a very smart way to go, and it helps everybody. Sure. Interesting, interesting. Well, guys, we're getting towards the end of our show. We just have a couple minutes left. But I just, just to, in closing, um, uh, again, I'm you know, sure we have folks joining us who are dealing with a diagnosis of cancer, other diagnoses, and, and um, just really faced with this uh, even in the past few days or weeks. Um, just in closing, I'd love for each of you to give just one or two tips or pieces of advice to those who are listening today, uh, particularly around these financial issues. If, you, if you've just been diagnosed with cancer, what are the one or two sort of financial things that you need to think about um, in, the, in the face of this? And, uh, Elise, I'm going to start with you and then, uh, uh, and then go to David. Well, I would say to initially educate yourself about your plan and find out if you didn't know before what your deductibles were and your limits and your out-of-pocket expenses find that out so that you know at least what your maximum hit is going to be uh, in, the, in the initial year. Uh, also to get yourself hooked up with a case manager with your insurance company because they can help mitigate some of those uh, insurance costs for you. Great, great. David, in closing? Yeah, I'd say also, as Lisa was saying, if you've got a health insurance policy, get to know it. One of the things we have not talked about is a lot of policies uh, monitor whether you can or can't see particular doctors or receive go to particular hospitals. You should know that up front, that it might be more expensive or totally out of your pocket if you go see a, a different doctor. And the other is if you don't have health insurance, do everything that you can to get it. To get it. And you still it. can despite your diagnosis. Despite your diagnosis. Great. Well, you guys have been amazing today. This has been such a wonderful conversation. Uh, as I mentioned, the Wellness Community is coming out with a new book called Frankly Speaking About Cancer, Coping with the Cost of Care. It will be available at the end of June. You can, uh, you'll be able to download it at www.thewellnesscommunity.org or call us at 888-793-WELL, W-E-L-L. We've learned a lot about David's uh, organization today, Survivorship A to Z. Uh, and if you'd like to find out more about their services, please visit their website. It's www.survivorshipa2z, that's A-T-O-Z.org, www.survivorshipa2z.org. Um, I want to dedicate today's show to all of the, the health insurance caseworkers and the social workers uh, who are really out there providing much-needed financial advice uh, and guidance to cancer patients and their loved ones. Um, as they navigate their way through this uh, complicated uh, health insurance maze. Um, This has been just an incredible conversation today, and particularly in this uh, economic climate um, in dealing with uh, many of the financial uh, challenges of of a 
of a cancer diagnosis, and, and really so much of this information is relevant if you've had other, if you're diagnosed with other uh, serious illnesses um, as well. So again, I want to thank uh, both of you, both of our guests, David Landay and Elise Ziv. You guys have been terrific. Um, and uh, David, thank you so much for the resource that you've built uh, for patients. And Elise, thank you for the um, uh, for for being so open and forthright uh, about your own family's um, experience. This is frankly speaking about cancer. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at thewellnesscommunity.org. That's thewellnesscommunity.org. 